Season 2, Episode 23 of the Raising Athletes Podcast. Help recovering from a loss or a setback with your athlete. Hi. This is, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) Once you know it's for real, you're like, uh, (laughs) Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast. Hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us (laughs) about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Some of the most difficult things we go through as a parent are times when things don't go our way or our kid's way, and probably no more painful than when something doesn't go your kid's way, i.e. a loss or getting cut or a rejection. Today, we wanted to talk about helicopter parenting and kind of what we're seeing in trends, and it's in a lot of articles and and why it's become so popular because it gets results, but also some tips and some tools that you can actually use to help yourself because that's what happens, right? When when we get it, when our child faces a setback, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a a way to stop the bleeding, but b how can we be of most service to them so that they can get what they need in the moment, learn from it, and move forward. Susie and I had a great conversation today about all of this, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Hello, Susie. Hello. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. We are here today to talk about, we want to really keep seeing this theme coming up about helicopter parenting. And actually, there was an article that was written in the New York Times recently, uh, February 7th, that talked about the bad news about helicopter parenting. It works. And I saw the title and I wanted to throw up. Um, and so we, we thought, let's, let's digest and talk about that a little bit. And that will kind of lead us into a couple other topics around transition. And as we support our athletes, as we support our kids through transitions in their life. Um, so do you want to tee up what the article is about a little bit, Susie? Yeah, um, the article was, was pretty much saying that, yeah, like you just said, helicopter parenting is the way to do it. And they're, they're saying what they're finding is that um, kids are become, you know, actually getting into colleges they need to get because of this overparenting, I like to call it. Um, and then, you know, which is setting up to get jobs that they want. And, and the thing is, I mean, as I'm reading it, I'm like, ah, it just doesn't sit right with me. You know, I, I just like, where are they getting their stats from, you know what I mean? Like who's going to help these kids when they're in their twenties and not in college anymore. You know, I mean, it just doesn't feel right, but then here's that article and, you know, and it supports everybody who's been, you know, making sure their kids had, you know, 
18 tutors and help with their college apps and, you know, help with everything. Like, and I don't, I'm totally uh, support people who want to support their kids, but it's like, I always like to use the analogy when your kids learn to walk, you would hold their hands for a few steps and then you would let go to see how they did. And when they fell, which they all did, you know, you didn't call, you didn't call them losers. You didn't call a tutor to teach them how to walk the right way. Like you just stood them up and said, come on, let's do it. You can do it. And we just, you know, support them along the way. The part with helicopter parenting that gets me crazy is the parents never let go of the hand. Mm. They're constantly holding their hand through everything. And what I've seen in my 25 years of running parenting seminars and working with parents, these, a lot of these kids are really not happy campers when they get to high school and the kids and the parents try to give them some responsibility because it's almost like they've created a belief that the more you do for me, the more you love me. So they kind of get really pissy and really angry and they just like, no, why should I, you know, if you want me to go to soccer, you know, you should be doing my laundry, you know, and you're the one that should, you know, be getting me my meal. I mean, it's just, it's crazy what I see. So it, what I see doesn't match this article. Right. You know, so that's where I kind of went like, I don't get this. Well, it's interesting because to your point, it's, you get so emotionally attached to it going a certain way. But if you think about it, it's like training a dog. And if you've never taught the dog that it has to sit and wait till you say it's okay to be fed, then the dog's like eating, you know, trying to get to the bowl, trying to get the bowl, trying to get the bowl. And then all of a sudden, five years later, you're like, no, you need to sit. Dogs would be like, no, I don't. Like, why would I start this now? Similarly, our kids, we've always done it for them. You've always done their laundry or whatever it is that you're, you're compensating for. And then, you know, you get these teenagers and you're like, oh, they're totally incompetent. They can't do anything on their own. Um, Julie Lefkat Hames, who wrote How to Raise an Adult, talked about this recently about a four-step process to learn any skill. Step number one, you do it for them. Step number two, you do it with them. Step number three, you watch them do it. And step number four, you let them do it. (laughs) I love that. I do too, right? Isn't that great? So for them, with them, watch them, let them. And I remember when I first came across her book about a year ago, my at then time 17 year old would say, mom, we need to go get my hair cut. And I would say, okay. And I'd be like, wait, why are we going to get your haircut? <laughs> He's like, because I don't know what to say. And I go, here's what you say. Long on the top, short on the sides. <laughs> but that was his, you know, and I would rationalize, well, it's a good time. We have together, right? He wants me to be around. Oh, I should be flattered. No. It's a basic skill set that he can learn how to do. So we used to do it for them. Okay, now he's 17. I'll go do it with you one more time. Okay, now how did that go? I'll watch you do it. And now last week he's like, yeah, I stopped on the way home. I got my haircut, right? And we laugh at it being a haircut, but those are the kind of things that, that kids go off to college having never done before by themselves because we parents helicopter in and say, well, he doesn't have time. He doesn't have time to make the appointment. In fact, his be- one of his best friends, they were working out together and they, and he had just gotten the haircut and the friend's like, oh, I like your haircut. Cut. And his mom was standing there. And he's like, yeah, mom, can you set me up an appointment? <laughs> and CJ's like, your mom sets up your appointments. And I was like, you know, well, be careful because just a few months ago, you were doing that too, right? 
It's so funny. Just last night, one of my friends was saying, we need to, oh my gosh, you know, they go to the high school around here. We need to, um, we need to f- fill out the classes for next year. And I looked at her, I'm like, we? <laughs> I was so stunned. Yes. You know what I mean? I was just like, we? Well, and that was one of her tips around, if you're saying we, like, here's how you know you have a problem. <laughs> we you use the pronoun we. That's your first clue to know that you're doing too much for them. Yeah. And, and even you parents with those young kids, this doesn't start when they're in high school. This is when they're three. Like, we need to not bite. Yeah. And I always say to parents, oh, so you're, you're still biting? And they yeah. kind of like, well, no. I'm like, then why are you saying we? You don't bite. <laughs> Use the word we when you're involved with the same thing, but we don't hit. Yeah. No, I'm not okay with you hitting. Right. You know? I need you to keep your arms to your hands to yourself, but not we. And that just becomes, uh, I think that most parents aren't even aware of that, you know? And so here they are, the kids are in high school. Oh, we need to figure out classes this weekend. I'm like, we stop. Yeah. You know, we need to go to get a haircut. No, CJ, you need to get a haircut. <laughs> no. So yeah. Parents use that approach. And about things, and you'll you'll start to notice it. Just even having the awareness of the things that we do, we make them lunch. We need to make lunch. No, he can pack his own lunch. And yeah. yes, there's. Or I I will make your lunch for you, but not we unless they're in the kitchen. We are going to make your lunch. What we are going to do together because that's that one of those four steps where you do it together. You do it right. right, and then you do it together, and then you watch them do it, and then you let them do it. Yes, exactly. Uh, can I? I'm just I'm just going to kind of add that into my parenting. Sure. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> you All right. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. So authoritative versus authoritarian, right? We talk about that. And in this article, she was really saying that the authoritarian parent, which is the somebody who's doing it for them all the time, but kids need that because they don't know what, you know, we, at some, but at some point you have to let them own the process. And if they don't own the process, you're actually creating anxiety right? And creating this sense of lack of understanding that they're capable of doing it, mm-hmm. which is then not preparing them for that next ultimate step, which is hopefully leaving the nest, right? Successfully. I mean, it sounds like what they're talking about is like, you keep making sure they get their apps in, you make sure they're going, you know, getting to college, you make sure because as if when college is over, that's the end of their lives. Yeah. No, probably not. So now what? Like now who takes them to that next step? You know, those parents are coming back and moving them out of the dorm and moving them into their apartment and applying for the job and showing up at the interview and calling the boss. And, you know, like that's how this whole spiral keeps going. Right. But when did they take ownership of it? And the earlier they can take ownership, and that, and that's also a good tip, right? Which is even if you aren't doing that yet, it's never too late. Right. Start just the awareness of it, whatever stage you're at, like, Start weaning yourself off of it and giving them opportunities and use the language of, you know, that's what I say. Like, I can do your laundry for you, but next year you have to do it by yourself. So I want you to be able to know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So help, let me know what you need to help You know, that gift of failure. Yes. You know, that, you know, it's like allowing them to feel what it feels like to fail. Yes. But, oh, goodness gracious. I'm a computer. Which, 
which leads us into the next section. We talk talking about failure. So I shared with you, um, my son's who's a senior CJ, they just lost in triple overtime in the CIF sectionals. And the parents, I think, took it harder than the kids did, right? I mean, my husband and I were looking at each other the next morning at three in the morning, wide awake. Like, our hearts hurt. And um, I just finished Brene Brown's latest book, Dare to Lead. And I loved her statement in there, which she said, um, don't jump in the hole with them, right? Like, when somebody is in pain, we conflate our pain with their pain. And while, yes, of course, we've supported him on this journey, that's not our, we don't own that pain. And if you do own that pain or you think you own that pain, you need to check yourself because that's his pain. So your job is to say, this sucks, whatever you, you know, adjective you want to use. And I think you can handle it. Is that how I do that? You know, she's talking about, you know, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, you feel sorry for them. You want to fix them. You want to rescue them. So you don't allow them to have the whole experience of the feeling, of the grief, of the sadness, whatever they're feeling, which is where emotional intelligence comes from. Empathy, you're acknowledging their pain. I get this stinks. And I know you'll get through it. I know you'll handle it. And, you know, you take as long as you need to feel it. And then, you know, you, you'll get through it. You know, I know you, you're capable. That, that, that's what kids need to hear. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, similarly, another client who has a son who got, has tried out for two different teams this fall and got cut from both of them. And the second time was tennis and she was, he was on the way home and she was texting me saying, I just found out he's not going to make that team either. And I don't even know what to say to him. Right. And it is, it's that feeling of your, as a parent, like our, we would rather feel the pain for them. You know, like nothing hurts worse. I think than seeing your child in pain. Right. And what helicopter parents are doing is taking away that experience experience, which is not right. And it's not helping them. Right. If you look at it as inoculating them, that's not allowing them to experience everything. It's kind of like also taking away their joy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can't feel need... happiness without sadness. Right. Exactly. You can't feel strength without feeling weak. It's they're you know they're yin and yang, but you need them both. Right. right? It's like you know in that, in that situation there, like she's feeling so bad for him. And the thing is, sympathy will create disconnection, where empathy creates connection. So even for that moment, for that woman to say to her son, I don't know what to say to you right now. I can see how you're feeling. And it looks like, you know, I can see that you're hurt or sad. And I don't know what to tell you, but I'm just glad I'm here with you. I love that phrase you just said. Sympathy creates disconnection. <laughs> yeah. Empathy, Empathy creates connection. So, which is the opposite of what we think, right? We think, I need to tell you how bad it sucks and and that that's going to show you that i really care but yeah, it I'm actually gonna you, i'm going to make you know i'm going to call the coach or you know i'm going to go buy you a new car or i'm going to buy you a game you know to take you out of your misery like sympathy and you know and, and it's like oh you poor thing it's just so disconnecting because what the tone implies is that this you know this child's really in a lot of trouble where empathy is like hey i can see this sucks or i can see this stinks and you know what I get it. 
and I don't know what to tell you or say to you. And I'm glad we're just, I'm glad I'm just here with you there. You know, if you're the kid, don't you feel so much more connected to me? Cause Mm -hmm. you see that I'm not trying to fix you or rescue you or, you know, I'm just letting you be. Or make you wrong about it. Wrong. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big, there's a, it's a fine line, but it's a very, very strong fine line. Yes. Um, in this new book I just bought last week, Under Pressure by Dr. Lisa Damore, she talks about um, the stress and anxiety in teenage girls. This is linked to that because what happens is they come into her office and they'll pronounce to her, just so you know, I have anxiety. Like it's a this horrible condition that, you know... <laughs> I have whatever, an STD, right? And she was, she goes, I want to say to them, congratulations. Anxiety is a good thing. She goes, that is your tool that's going to help you know. It's also the tool that you'll use when you walk into the, the party and you know you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be with those kids. But when we don't listen to anxiety, when we don't listen to our inner knowing, then we go do something that we really don't want to do or were ashamed of or whatever. And this girl had come because she had gone to a party where she was fine at the first party. And then she went to the second party and it was all college students. And she said, I knew I wasn't supposed to be there, but I felt so uncomfortable. I just drank and drank and drank and drank. And she goes, but look how smart you are. You knew you weren't supposed to be there. Listen to her. Right. And when we teach our kids that anxiety is their friend that this is a tool that helps them make good decisions, that it doesn't have to be something that we should be, A, labeling ourselves as wrong or bad for having, but embracing it. And and, and teaching our kids to ask themselves that question. What do I need right now to take care of me? Mm -hmm. Oh, I need to leave the party. Or, oh, I need to, you know, go watch a movie. Or I need to call a friend. But rather than like just get stuck in it, because again, most kids weren't, haven't been trained or have been taught that, you know, when they're having a problem, what do you need right now to take care of you? So the younger we start saying that to our kids, when they get to be older in high school and on, when they're in those situations, they're starting to feel the angst. They, they automatically go within, what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, but we're not giving them those tools. We're, 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 we're sweeping in and fixing it for them. And they're just, you know, missing out the opportunity to see how darn capable they are because kids are so resilient and so capable. And I love what you're saying about what that, um, in that book, what they're saying, it's, you know, anxiety is a friend, check into it and see what, what is it? What is, what's the story behind it? Yeah. You know, that resonates with me because my father sadly passed about a month ago. And literally the question that keeps coming up for me is what can I do today? That's it. That it, that will serve me. And some days it's, I'm going to write this, or I'm going to coach this person, or I'm going to do this podcast. And some days it's, I'm going to go for a walk around the block. But Mm -hmm. your point is when you ask yourself in a way that is serving yourself versus something that would, you know, affect you negatively, eating the whole bag of cookies or whatever, drinking or whatever, the negative thing that we choose as an escape route, that's when you're actually really tapped into listening and grieving. I mean, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm grieving the loss of this amazing man. So allowing myself to feel that pain, but also knowing that me go taking my walk, my dog for a walk for 20 minutes is going to 
help that pain is in a way soothing, you know, self care. You're, you're listening to your intuition. Yeah. That's the other thing, you know, you guys out there who are thinking, oh, yeah, helicopter parenting, you're not allowing your kids to um, finally t- tune in and to their intuition and use intuition as a guide because you have become their guide. Mm. And so when they're in a situation where you're not there, which will happen, they'll, they won't know what to do. And again, that's another area to get, you know, that you'll become anxious or do the wrong thing because you, you've never really, you haven't checked in forever since you were three years old because your parents have always been telling you what to do versus asking, what do you need right now? What would work for you right now? What, what, you know, what do you need to take care of yourself right now? So to and, say that. Yeah. I mean, my old four-year-old grandson, he'll say, I just need to be by myself right now. I'm just feeling really hurt, you know, and it's just, you know, and it's awesome. And then he, he is, and then he's, Great. After that, he's he's gone through it, and he came through it. So you know, it's really you can start these kind of verbiage with any of any age, not you know, but even as a teenager, start asking these questions, start acknowledging, using empathy. Well, that's what, you, exactly what happened with this. We lose in triple overtime. My husband and I are like beside ourselves. We we, we both wake up the next morning at three in the morning and are like. He's like, oh, he's probably not going to want to go to school. And I'm like, I know he's going to be so upset. And I go to wake him up and he says, oh, well, I got to get to the gym. You know, I'm going to take two days off. I'm going to really just celebrate what a great season we had. And then I got to get back in the gym and I got to start working out because I got the next thing that I'm going to go do. And I literally did. I called my husband. I'm like, just so you know, he's handling this a lot better than we are. <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's also just a really good and, and I supposedly know what I'm doing here. I'm supposedly coaching people on this. But when it's your own when thing. It's your own kid. It's a whole different it's a, Yeah. Like, you know, like I almost called you. I'm like, okay, these, I know what you're going to say, but these rules don't apply to me because this is different because it's my pain, right? Yeah. It's like when one of my sons got picked up for shoplifting when <laughs> he was a sophomore in high school, like the first week of school. And I'm calling everybody. I want to kill him. What do I do? And they're like, you're the parent educator. I'm like, yeah, but this is my kid right now. I want to kill him. I need to be, you know, talked off the cliff. I got to get off the cliff. I got to do something different because, oh my God, it's so funny. That's why it's important to have other people in your life that can support you in the moment you can't support yourself. Yes. You know, but parents, terrible parents, that doesn't mean, um, you know, handling it for them. You know, because after you're like, well, yeah, but that's helicopter parenting where you swoop in and take care of it. They need you to be there when they fall and skin their knee to help them back up, just like when they were learning to walk, but then you let them go, yeah. you know, but you guys that are protecting your kids out there and making sure they they're on the right team and they have the right coach and they have the right trainer and they have the right school and they have the right tutors. What's going to happen when they go to college? Cause hopefully you're not going with them and you won't be there for their big first big fall. And that's not a good thing, guys. You want to be there for their first falls and their first 20, you know, you want your kids to fall so much or skin their knees, so to speak, so much. And when they go off to college, you're almost like, what else is there? <laughs> They're going to be handled. They're handled. They can handle anything, you yeah. know, and they do. As long as you let them have some failure on their way off to school. So that's great because that brings up the next point, actually, that we want to talk about, which is so, I mean, whatever, even if we'd won the whole state title. The season ends at some point. Every kid's high school career ends at some point. And not everybody, or as we know, 2% of kids are going off to play in college. Two. 
So 500,000 just for basketball, half a million kids play boys play basketball every year. 2% are going to go play the next year. So what advice do we have for those parents who are saying, this is what my kid's done since he was six. And how do I support him now that, now that that's over? Well, my first question, how did, how would you want to be supported in that moment? Mm. You know, like, look at that. Like if that was you, what would you want? You know, I said to her, I think, first of all, you need to plant a big flag and say, let's look, just take some time to enjoy what you've accomplished. Right. So before we worry about what's next, because that's the other problem, right? It's like, well, that's over. Okay. Now what's next? We start getting caught up in the, you know, figuring it out. And sometimes we just need to yeah, sit, with it. sit yeah. with it and enjoy it. And then once he starts to say, gosh, when he's there, when he asks, okay, what's next? Then we start a research project. Okay. What could that look like? Is that playing club? Is that picking up a sport I dropped when I was six? Is that starting a new sport? Is that trying out or walking onto a team because I'm not ready to give up this sport? Is it coaching, right? You know, if your kid played all the way through varsity sports, he can be coaching a lot. There's a lot of young kids that would benefit from everything he's learned. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of different options, I think, but we also, as parents, again, we get so into our own pain about this being the end of it. It's not, this is another chance for them to, it's another transition. You know, that's what we're talking about today is a transition. Your yeah. kids, you know, your kids are on their own journey. They're not on your journey. They don't, you know, they need, they have their own journey. They don't need you to be on that journey with them. They just need you to, su to support them in their journey. They're going to have a lot of transitions in their lives. There's not a lot of humans that love transition, which is hilarious because <laughs> all we do is transition. <laughs> Constant change. And people are so afraid of change. Like we, everything changes every day. Right. So, you know, so it's like, you know, how do we support them in their transition? You know, and again, we allow them to have their feelings. We allow them to feel the pain, you know, and then we help them, you know, look at what they want to do next. You know, and, and it, it's I don't it's no different when they stop playing in the NBA or they stop after college, like or anybody has a job out there when you feel like the job is, you know, ending and it's time to start something new. Like it's just it's all transitions. Yeah. So the earlier we, we allow our kids to have some um experiences in transition, the easier it'll be for them to transition once they're, you know, in whatever whatever they're doing when something new shows up. Yeah. And realize they can be successful at it too. That, yeah, oh, and that they may make a lot of mistakes, you know, and they may not make the four-year college. So what? Yeah, I have one of my sons that's coaching um, a junior college here in San Diego, and I mean, they those kids, those guys that are on that basketball team, they they play so passionately. And this one kid, every time he makes a three-pointer, he, he just gets the biggest smile on your face. There's so much joy, and he's not smiling like, "Ha ha, I'm the best." You can just see the internal joy that he just made this three pointer. And it's like, good for these kids because they didn't have the grades or they didn't have whatever it took to go to a four year yet. But, you know, they're having a good time. They're playing hardball. They're being, you know, taught so very solidly by the coaching staff. <laughs> and, you know, and hopefully, you know, if they want to go on into four year, they will. Right. But you know, it's not about the four year college, you guys. Mm -hmm. There's so many other things out there besides a four-year 
Yeah. So, you know, if you, cause you, I know there's some parents out there like, well, if my kid makes that many mistakes, they won't get into the college they want to go to. And I always say, well, then that's not the college they need to be in. Right. Because you want your kids to make mistakes and then get to the school that fits them. A lot of these kids playing in JC. I went to a JC and I went to college. I mean, I went to all Catholic girls school and, oh, but I didn't want to go to a four year yet. Yeah. So I went to JC and didn't play any sports for two years. I was playing my whole life, three sports, swimming, volleyball, and basketball. Went two years, drank a lot of beer, partied. And after that, I went to UCLA. I'm like, that was not good. <laughs> and, and then I tried out for the volleyball team there and I made the second team. And it was awesome to be back. And I've been doing sports ever since then. But I had to take that two-year hiatus. I don't know why, but I felt like I had to. And I did. And, you know, and I was back and I'm still playing sports now many, many, many years later. Right, right. So you just don't know the journey. But for me, I'm one of 10 kids. So I, I didn't, my parents couldn't helicopter us. Yeah. You know, we played sports for the love of sports. We stopped playing sports because we didn't feel like we wanted to do sports anymore. So it's just a matter of, I always tell parents, if, you, if you're that caught up in your kids' sports or in their school, have more kids. Because it's in, I don't think it's possible. I have four kids, four boys. I, I, there's no way I could be doing as much as you guys out there that have one or two kids. Right. Or pick okay. a hobby. Get, yeah. get a hobby of some, of some sort get a of hobby. hobby. Yeah. If you don't want to have more kids, right. get a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So just to summarize here, we're up, up to our half an hour, but parents try this, like uh, use this tool, which I think, and like, again, I know I could, I've been trying to implement with each of my kids differently. Some, one of them will clean the room. Another one won't manage this, you know, their homework or their back backpack or whatever it is, but use this four step method of for them, with them, watch them, let them and see them grow and see the pride in them really owning it. Because when they own it again, when it ends, they'll be like, yes, I did that. And now I can move on and go try it again in a different area. And, and, and I think you helicopter parents out there, I think you have a good intention. I think you want the best for your kids. But if you can embrace this four steps that we've been talking about today, it just, because you're just missing out on two, the last two. <laughs> you know, you're doing it for them. And then you're probably, you know, feeling like, well, they need to learn to do it. So I'll, I'll do it with them, you know, but then it's that next step, you know, watch them do it and then let them do it. So all you guys out there who'd love your kids so much, that you just want to do everything please take this four step to heart i love that it's such a beautiful concept and it's i don't know for me it's so easy to grasp something like that yeah so um yeah that's it's a great thing you guys give it a try your kids it'll serve your kids and whoever they marry they'll come back and thank you and then reach out to us we'd love to hear from you so ping us on we've got a facebook group hashtag raising athletes go in there or you can email me at kierjones at me.com or Susie Walton has her Indigo Village website. Let us know how it's going. We would love to hear from you. Or go on to iTunes and rate and share our podcast. We love that. Let's get, get this message out. More parents need to hear this, right? 100%. All right. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. Thank you.